This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Tomei. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode by Brian Kaufman. Today, we're previewing the college football playoff championship game. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. And if you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. Brian, before I get into things today, I need to get something off my chest. Something that's been stressing me out quite a bit to start this new year. And that's my college basketball bets. They are very, very bad. <laughs> I made a New Year's resolution that after the big bowls, the Rose Bowl, you know, the the big bowls after the college football playoff, I was going to start giving out bets on Twitter every day. I'm only two days into it. 0-4 so far. 0-4 <laughs> in two days. And you know you get that, like, gambler sense where, like, you're cold, nothing feels right, you're double, you're questioning everything, you don't, you can't trust your gut. That's where I'm at right now. So today, I I posted my bets with a fade alert and uh, did the, <laughs> the alert em- emojis around it. So everybody knows, you know, you can either fade it or you can ride with me while I dig out of this hole. But I'm very, very stressed out of that. Can you just gut check? my bets for tonight that people are going to hear after they're already done. I just want to get your, your sense on them because I'm questioning them already. Okay. All right, let's do it. All right. I got Rutgers, Maryland under one thirty and a half. I got Purdue I like plus one and a half at Ohio state. And I got I like Arizona it. over 86 and a half points at home against Washington. I like it. Listen, man, I was I was into the Penn State pick on, on Wednesday as well. I thought, I mean, that that, that had like a, a few, you know, ne- rarely fail gambling things going for it. That pick, it, it made a lot of sense. Uh, I, I, like, try to figure out who is Michigan. I have no idea uh, if they're the best team in the country or not even a tournament team. No idea. Uh, but so, listen, I like those picks. And you know how it works. You're going to get yourself out of the rut. You're going to hit a hot streak and no more, no more red alert emojis necessary. That makes me feel better. I appreciate it. That's why you're here. That's why you're friend. That's why we're friends. That's why we're podcast co-hosts here. Well, you can follow my picks at Gorgon Sports on Twitter. You can either ride with me or you can fade me. Either way, I'm fine with it. But follow. It's, it's going to be a ride. <laughs> it's going to be a ride one way or another. I had to start with that. But that is not here what we're here to talk about today because we are here to preview the college football playoff championship. Brian, when do we do our first episode previewing? Was it July maybe? I think we might have started our preview series in July. And now we're here, January 2023, ready to talk about the championship game. And boy, what a championship game it's going to be. A matchup that nobody saw coming. Nobody, nobody, nobody. TCU was ranked all over the place to start the year. We talked about what a Cinderella run they've had. What an amazing one-year turnaround they've had. And they will take on 
the world famous Georgia Bulldogs because it's like a wrestling title. They beat Ohio State. So now they are the world famous. They get the world famous title. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Yeah. (laughs) So not only the defending national champions, but the world famous Georgia Bulldogs. (laughs) It's going to be a battle in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Before we get into some of the big storylines we're looking at, I wanted to ask you, this is uh, the first time the college football playoff is going to be in L.A., L.A., obviously no stranger to big college football matchups with the Rose Bowl kind of being the pinnacle of the sport for years and years and years. But if you were to go to a college football playoff championship game, where would you want to go? What city would you want it to be in? Oh, man. Well, after reading the article that there's not going to be any tailgating uh, at SoFi Stadium for this game, it's certainly not Los Angeles. Uh, that's that's definitely not my answer. Um Man, there's a lot of a lot of great spots. I like, you know, we had such a good time when we went to the playoff game in Atlanta, and you're obviously intimately familiar with that city. But like, it's just such a, a college football bed. That stadium is so beautiful. Like, I know I've already been there, but that would be absolutely electric for a championship game. Um, you know, Miami. I don't know. There's a, there's a ton of places that would that would be great. What about you? I think New Orleans for me. Yeah. I think it's just that New Orleans is a city that I love. It's a ton of fun. It's a great destination city. It's a great place to go where for people who are excited and, and amped up for a game. Plus, much like Atlanta, you know, you're likely going to have at least one team from the South in it. So uh, easy travel for probably at least one of the fan bases, which I think helps add to the atmosphere. But I will say I was actually, I did not go to the, the game, but I was in LA for last year's Super Bowl for from a, a good chunk of that week and uh LA's an interesting city for it because it's spread out city obviously but you know that they got some good stuff with the convention center downtown there but that's far from SoFi Stadium or relatively far so it's kind of an interesting setup where at least for the Super Bowl the convention center and kind of the staple center or now crypto.com uh, arena area was kind of the, the hub for everything. But then the game itself was at SoFi. So um, a little bit different setup. I know people talk about going to Indy last year where everything is just right there. I don't think LA would be my number one pick unless it was in the, the Rose bowl itself. I think that would be a very c- cool thing, but so g- give me new Orleans. But nevertheless, this game will be in L.A., and I want to start today by talking about some of the big storylines that I see that are kind of can come out of this game or that I'm looking at ahead of this game. So number one for me, Brian, is Georgia can become the first repeat national champion since Alabama did it in the 2011 and 2012 seasons. And that was still the BCS era. Nobody has done this in the college football playoff era, which I think is a a pretty big accomplishment in and of itself. The only other team's programs since 1970 to win back-to-back titles are Nebraska in 94-95, Alabama in 78-79, Oklahoma in 74-75, and Nebraska again in 70 and 71 and obviously that's a bygone era where there wasn't a true national championship game those were teams that all finished number one in the AP poll to end the year in both of those years but the only two programs the only two teams that have ever won national championship one versus two games in back-to-back years would be that Alabama team led by AJ McCarron 
and potentially these Georgia Bulldogs. So my question for you, Brian, is if Georgia wins this game, where does this two-year run land historically? It's a great question. I mean, to steal a line from you in a previous episode, like if, if this happens, they sort of they become Alabama, right? They become the ones who get the benefit of the doubt, uh, the ones who you just sort of find yourself able to write off any even slight concerns about a team going into the year because it's Georgia, right? Because it's Alabama. You say like Nick Saban will figure it out. Kirby Smart gets that if he wins another title, right? It's just Kirby Smart, he's the coach. They're they're going to be in the national championship running. I think we have the benefit of hindsight of – 10 years since that back-to-back championship for Alabama, where then they became like a full-blown dynasty and won however many more since then. And so it's hard to project that. But then again, if if, if Georgia wins this game, it, it's, it's not particularly difficult for me to see a case where they win, you know, four in the next decade, right? Or, or whatever it may be. So I, I think... You know, I, I really try hard not to have recency bias, not to be a prisoner of the moment. I, it it has to be among the top. Of course, I'm not intimately familiar with Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Alabama of the 70s. I, I would put it right there uh, as as the top performance, particularly, you know, it did follow a trend that you see, right? They they were knocking on the door. They they lost the tough one to Tua. You sort of expected that that this would happen. But it that doesn't make it any less impressive. And so for me, you know this this has been this has been a dominant dominant run, and and I think it really puts them at or near the top. No, I think college football has a obviously long, illustrious history, and there's so many quirks and various things throughout the years. But I, I think at this point, it's really only fair to compare programs and teams probably from the start of the BCS era, 1998 and onward. I think that's probably the most fair thing. And I think for me, you know, if I think about a two-year run, even though this team did not win two national championships, it would be the Miami teams of the early 2000s who won the 2001 national championship and then lost the 2002 national championship to Ohio State on that questionable pass interference call that that obviously would have given them the win. To me, that is the gold standard program two-year stretch of the BCS and college ball playoff era. I will go and say right now, I will be that prisoner of the moment. If Georgia finishes undefeated, they would go they would have gone 27 and 1 over 2 years with two national championships, their sole loss to an Alabama program that's been the best of the I mean the best of the last 10 years or whatever it's been. I think Georgia compares last year's Georgia team compares very favorably to that Miami two year run. And I would say better if they do that, because last year you had this Georgia team. I think that is the best defense of the of that BCS. We got to find a name for it. What is my I mean, modern era seems too obvious, but we'll, we'll workshop a name on that, though. But I think there's needs to be a name for the BCS Let's call it the championship era, the true championship era, honestly. Okay, so the of the championship era, 1998 on, I think Georgia has the best defense that we've ever seen over that time. And I 
have last to look year a little, specifically. Yes, last last year's team okay. specifically yeah, yeah. has the best yeah. defense that we've ever seen. Which I think to be called like the best two year run, you got to have something so elite. And I think it'll compare favorably. You know, I think you talked about not being a prisoner of the moment. I think sometimes it's hard not to be a prisoner of the past because with those Miami teams, we have the hindsight of being like, I mean, that that running back depth chart was legendary, right? Like they had was it Willis McGahee, Clinton Portis, uh, Frank Gore. Uh, Frank Gore, I think there was like four guys who ended up being making Pro Bowls that was on that were on the the that team at the running back position over a two year period. That might be an exaggeration, but if it is, I don't think it's much of an exaggeration because for sure Willis McGahee, uh, because he got injured in that Ohio State national championship game, and I think Clinton Portis and Frank Gore were also on that team. Either way, a ton of NFL talent went from that Miami team into the into the league. Well, I mean, look at Georgia. We don't know how they're going to all perform in the NFL yet, but how many players did Georgia have drafted from that defense last year? A ton. And I, I think it compares very favorably. So to me, they did it last year with defense. We're going to talk about Georgia's offense a little bit more as we progress throughout the show today. It's a little bit of a different team, but this could actually be the team that goes undefeated. Last year's team didn't go undefeated. I, I think it compares very favorably to that Miami team, and I'm willing to say that Georgia's two-year run here will be the best of the championship era if they can get the win on Monday night. Najee Davenport, too, I believe, was on those teams, right? And he was a running back for in the NFL for like six or seven years. I'm pretty sure he won that title in Miami, too. So, yeah, I think that's a great call-out. I think that's a great call-out. I like the championship era name, by the way. that It fits, right? It, it, the true... The one true champion era, uh, to to bring back a favorite phrase. But yeah, I mean it, it. It's pretty. It's pretty impressive. I wonder, you know, this is something you would never question with Saban, and I and I sort of am prepared to move smart into that echelon if he gets it done on Monday. Do you worry about uh, motivation for Georgia for or you know anything in terms of like? They're supposed to boat race them, right? Like this is the team that made the playoff that wasn't supposed to. It's TCU. It's just the Big 12. Like like Georgia smashes these teams in Atlanta every opening weekend. Like uh, aren't we used to seeing that? Like do you worry that they might be looking down on it at all or is that not something you're concerned about? No, I think it's a really good question and a fair question. And I think it comes down to what is more important? Is it Georgia's motivation or so is it – the experience that Georgia gained, will the experience Georgia gained last year, will it outweigh whatever championship hangover there is that that exists? And I think that there is enough turnover on this team, but also enough consistency that they're going to be motivated. Like, I can't see a scenario where Stetson Bennett is not motivated to put in all the work necessary this week to go out and and win the win a, a second national championship. And when you have a guy like him as your leader and enough turnover on that offense and and on that team as a whole, I mean it's not just offense, it's the defense had more turnover. I think there's going to be enough of a mix of motivation and experience and a leader like Stetson Bennett who is I just cannot imagine a scenario where he is not motivated to go do that, that, that I think 
they'll be able to overcome it. But I think it is uh, something to consider. And, you know, as we talk about experience, Sonny Dykes talked a little bit about that and his team uh, after the Michigan game. He talked about what kind of that lack of experience meant and and what they had to work on um, for both that Michigan game and then, again, going up against a Georgia team who has played in so many big games over the past few years. So here's Sonny Dykes in his weekly press conference talking about experience. I think the big thing for us is just learning how to to handle all this and thought our players really handled it well. We had four players that went back and counted to make sure that had played in a bowl game before. Had a couple more that were on the team that didn't participate. But, you know, you, you think the other team has a huge advantage when they've been to the college football playoff the year before and you haven't been to a bowl game. And only four of the your, your guys that are playing for you right now had played in the game. And so, you know, that was going to be a challenge for us. And so we challenged our players to, you know, to treat it like they had been there before and act like they have been there before. And they did. You know, we were – we were in Phoenix for a long time, and, and our, the way our players prepared and the maturity they showed, um, you know, was, was exactly what we needed in order to be able to go out and win that ball game. And so, you know, you got to tip your hat to these guys. They have been up for every single challenge this year. It's been a learning experience. I mean, we've said it over and over again. We're kind of building this airplane as we're flying it. That's the way it's been all year um, because everything's new. And... Uh, and we're putting it together and, you know, we didn't have a bowl formula. We didn't have any of that. We just put a lot of thought and effort into to trying to maximize every opportunity to get better, let our players enjoy the experience, which I'm glad that we did. Um, and at the same time, most importantly, you know, get them ready to go play a big football game. And I thought the guys really responded well to that challenge. So, Brian, Sonny Dyke says there, just four TCU players played in a bowl game before the Michigan game. I mean, that is an unreal number compared to what the core of this Georgia team has been through over the past several seasons, obviously most recently winning the national championship last year. So to you, how much does that matter? How much does that experience matter now that PCU has gone through Michigan, has played in a college football game, um, and is in the national championship. How does it? How much does it matter? It's a it's a question as old as time, right? It, it's like TCU comes in with like this "why not us" attitude versus Georgia, who says we've done it before, right? I I, I tend to think it does matter. I, I tend to think it does. Um, I think like obviously having played in it. Georgia's at a, at least at some sort of advantage, right? They're, they're not going to be intimidated by the, by the the bells and whistles and lights and sounds and all of that stuff, right? Um, but TCU came out against Michigan and, and showed that they're not, they don't really care about that. They, they really seem like a team who sort of just has this uh, we're all we got type of attitude. And, and it's, it's been very impressive. So, do I think it puts them at an advantage, Georgia? Sure. But do I think that TCU is playing into what it does have and what it has done well and the motivation is working? I do. So I, I kind of see it both ways. As much of a cop-out answer as that seems like, I, I think, you know, Georgia's an advantage, but I, I'm not worried about TCU getting lost in the moment. You know, if they if they lose – 
they're they're not as good and and that's fine but it's not going to be the moment was too big for them especially because you could make the exact same argument for Michigan, right? Michigan was a team that was there last year. They're on the come up. They're following the natural path of you make the playoff, then you make the championship, then maybe you win the championship. But that didn't seem to bother TCU at all. So, well, I, I agree. I think there has to be some advantage in having been there, having experienced it. I would have put more weight and more stock into that for the semifinal than I would for the championship game because I just don't know how much difference there is like once you've made the semifinal once you've played in the in the fiesta bowl is that really that different from playing in the national championship game i don't think so so i don't put a ton of weight in it but you know we might be sitting here monday night tuesday morning thinking wow georgia's experience really showed through in that game but uh, for me right now i'm not putting a ton of weight in it so let's move on to the tcu side of things And we talked about what this would mean for Georgia and the sport if Georgia wins this game. But I want to talk about what it would mean for TCU. Because if TCU wins, this would be the Big 12's first national championship in the CFP era. And the first since Texas beat USC to win the 2005 national championship. So, Brian, what do you think TCU winning a national championship and becoming that first Big 12 team to win one in the CFP era would mean? What would it mean for the new Big 12 and the fact that it's not OU, it's not Texas, but it's TCU, and TCU is kind of launching this new era of the Big 12? Yeah, it'd be huge. I mean, I, I think it was an interesting year in the Big 12 where Oklahoma and Texas for all intents and purposes, didn't really factor into the championship race. And not only that, but top to bottom, there were some parity, uh, even Kansas, right? Like teams across the league were competitive. Um, and so I thought uh, I thought that was huge. So I think like this would be big for the league. And I don't think you can understate what it would mean for TCU's program as well. I mean, you look at what they're doing and, and Sonny Dykes brought some excitement. Now he's brought the performance. I think they only have like a maybe a, a top 20 ranked high school class coming in next year, but they've gotten three immediate impact players out of the transfer portal. The most recent being Trey Sanders, the Alabama running back who committed on Thursday, who was, I think, a top 10 player nationally when, when he was coming out of high school. So um, it's huge for them. I think it's huge for the Big 12. I think what's, a, what's a, an interesting and fun conversation to have is the broader sport as a whole a little bit, right? Because I think it's, it's funny. I think it already is. And it would be even more so a feather in the cap of this playoff format actually works, right? Like I think the whole thing was the lack of parody driving people to want to expand the playoff ASAP. And I am certainly not taking back that. I think the 12 team playoff is going to be amazing and was the right way to go, but it felt like, okay, Alabama's going to win it every year, and it just so happens that in the penultimate year of the 14 playoff, Alabama's out. TCU is is this up and comer who you know if they win, it will be quite the performance. So, yeah. But, uh, to go back to your original question, I think I think it's kind of a time of flux for the Big 12, the new Big 12, and but I think it's it's going to be a really fun and exciting football league for years to come, and I think this would be an amazing kind of step into that era. I think so too. And I think that 
TCU winning this national championship would make coaches around the country up-and-coming, hot, young assistants who may be head coaches in the next five to ten years really sit up and take stock and say, hey, do I really need to go to an SEC or Big Ten school to win a national championship? We have talked so much about the emerging power two because those are the two leagues that are seemingly set on world dominance the big 10 now a coast-to-coast league they have monster monster media deals they're just raking in cash and we've kind of made this assumption that these will be the two best leagues and maybe even at some point form some sort of super league where let's say the big 10 games are on fox the SEC games are on ESPN, they have a playoffs, and the two teams meet in a college Super Bowl of sorts. And that's been my biggest fear. However, I think TCU winning this national championship would really change things a lot because I think it would make that combined with the 12-team playoff where you have more, even more access to the playoff would make a coach really think and say, okay, let's use Washington as an example in the Pac-12. Is it really worth it if I'm still getting paid what Washington, you know, is capable of paying a coach? I, I don't know exactly what they're paying Kalen DeBoer. I could probably look it up here quickly, but let's just say, is it really worth it for a coach to say make an extra million or two million dollars a year at an SEC or Big Ten school when you're already making let's call it five million dollars a year, six million dollars a year? Is it really worth it to go and get that extra money, but be at a middle tier school, like say an Arkansas, an Ole Miss? I mean, even, even, you know, Tennessee kind of came back on the comp this year, but even like a Tennessee, is it really worth it to, to do that when you could go to Washington, win the Pac-12, make the playoff, and have a chance to win the national championship like TCU's doing this year. So I really think this is going to make the coaches who will be coaches, head coaches, and making these choices of, do I want to go to Arkansas? Do I want to go to Purdue? Do I even want to go to Michigan State, perhaps? Take notice and say, hey, Sonny Dykes turned this thing around in one year at TCU. That combined with the new access to the playoff, maybe it's worth it to go to a Pac-12 school, to go to a Washington, the example I've been using, to go to a Texas Tech, to go to a ACC school, an NC State, a North Carolina, because I now have access to the playoff, and Sonny Dyke showed that you don't have to be at a blue blood to win a national championship. So I think this could really have far-reaching consequences, and consequences sometimes have a negative connotation, but I think this would be consequences in the best sense. It would make these coaches see that there is a whole world out there where they can win, they can have access to this playoff, and they can potentially win a national championship, and it might make them go there instead of the Blue Blood. So I think that's the kind of impact it could have, Brian. Am I overstating that? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that was one of the things with the 12-team playoff too, right? Like, 
people you can get in like if you look at one of my favorite things when they announced it was the list of teams that would have made a playoff in x amount of years if it had been this 12 team playoff every year and there's a lot of programs in there and there's a lot of programs in there that you don't consider football powerhouses that you would consider fringe contenders right but in their conference in the past um but now everybody's got access. I mean, you think about it to take it one step further. Like I I know this isn't exactly what you're saying, but even like some of these, some of these G five jobs become immediately attractive. If you think, if you've got the resources, right. Where like, if you, you have access to playoff too. So I, I think, um, yeah, it could have a, it it could have a wide ranging impact on the sport as a whole, but I think just TCU success this season, I think the, for lack of a better term, the damage is done, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Brian. Let's move on to our last storyline here, and that's another kind of macro topic. Offensive football. TCU averages 41.1 points per game, fifth nationally. Georgia Georgia, just below that, 39.4 points per, points per game, eighth nationally. Are we officially at the point where offense means more than defense in college football. I mean, we saw it in the college football playoff semifinals where it was record-setting scoring. It was the most points scored between the two games since the inaugural college football playoff uh, semifinals in 2014. It was an average of 89.5 points scored uh, in, in those two playoff games compared to the next highest 78, an average of 78 in 2014. And TCU getting there, you know, kind of feels like we're at the point where defense means more than than offense. And Kirby Smart was kind of asked about it. He was asked about that, that those record-setting scores in the college football playoff games and why it's happening. And perhaps if it's because teams are getting more tired as the season goes on, here's what he had to say on, on scoring going up. I, I don't know how to pinpoint it. I don't know. Uh, you know, tr- traditionally the, the, the teams that are in these games are, you know, they're pretty good offensively, but uh, I'd like to say they're also pretty good defensively, but I think the studies and numbers indicate that uh, as the season goes on, and especially these semifinal and uh, final games, scoring has to be uh, going up. What that is, I can't, uh, I can't really pinpoint it. I, I don't know that I would say it was just being tired because you, you could say that's relative to offense as well, that you can get mm-hmm. tired defense, you can get tired on defense. Um, but I, I certainly think it's hard to play quality defense anymore. And Kirby would go on to say that it seems like tackling becomes worse as the season goes on. It wasn't the greatest audio quality, so I didn't want to leave it in there. But I thought that was an important point that he made, that he, he feels like tackling's getting worse as the season goes on. So I just feel like we're at this inflection point, and we've been on this journey for a while, where offense trumps defense. Georgia kind of flipped the script a bit last year, but it seems like we're back on that trajectory again. How do you feel, Brian? Do you, do you feel like we're really headed that way, or is this just a one-off? No, I, I think we are. I mean, I think back to those, like, we've talked a bit about the uh, the A.J. McCarron title teams, and, like, they beat LSU in that title game 21 nothing, right? I, like, 
I'm going to be, I, I don't know how hot of a take this is, but I don't think, I think Georgia's going to have to score points to win this game. Like, I don't think they're going to completely shut down this offense. And so in that sense, it feels like a little bit of a different game where yet the offense is, is the non-negotiable thing that you need to have. So it does, it does feel slightly different. I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we talked about Georgia's D last year, one of the greatest ever, it felt like, um, that that actually feels like more of the outlier than I think where we're going. I think points, you know, they're they're going up in bunches. Um, so I do, I agree, and and I uh, we're gonna get to our best bets, so I won't spoil it. But yeah, I think there's gonna be some points in this game. I do. Yeah, and you know when I think about Georgia, this is not to say they don't have a good defense because they do. They're fifth in scoring in Bill Connolly's SP plus metric. They have the fourth best defense. But when I think about this Georgia team, I think about offense. I think about Brock Bowers. I think about, you know, I I think about um Stetson Bennett. I think about him scrambling around, running around, making things happen. You know, so I don't know. I, I just feel like this is a this Georgia team is really been led more by their offense than their defense and maybe that's just a matter of that defense was so good last year and it's you know inevitably had to take a step back but and maybe it's you know that these two tight ends with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington that are just so good so athletic that it just kind of overshadows the defense but I, I I read the stats to you, right? I mean, they're eighth nationally in scoring. They score almost 40 points per game. Their D is good, and they're rated a little bit better from an advanced analytics perspective. But if we also get into some other advanced metrics here for Georgia, Georgia, offensively, they are the number one ranked team in passing success rate. Nobody is better on a down-to-down basis passing the football than Georgia and Stetson Bennett. So I'm with you there, Brian. I, I do think this is the way things are going. And I think I felt like Kirby was a little bit resigned to it, right? That's not what he really wants. He's a he's a defensive guy. He, he loves defense. He's led some great defenses. But in that clip, he kind of sounded resigned to the fact that this is the way football is going. And this is just kind of the facts of life. So I do think this is the trend. I think this is what we're going to continue to see in college football. And that kind of brings me to my next point. We have these two really good offenses going head to head. Uh, Georgia has the significantly better defense from a statistical perspective. As I mentioned, fifth in scoring, TCU 64th, TCU also 37th in defensive SP plus. So Georgia clearly has an advantage on the defensive side of the ball. So what do you think TCU needs to do to win? If they do this, if you're looking at that box score after the game and you're like, okay, they did this. What, what, what will that metric be? What will that stat be? What will that thing be that tells you TCU was successful and won the game? So just to caveat it, like I I think, 
TCU is the team in this matchup that could do everything that I think they need to do and still lose. So this is a path to success for them, I would say. And it's going to sound familiar because I think it's a lot of what Ohio State was able to do. I think that Ohio State did a good job of keeping Jalen Carter from wrecking the game plan and allowing the offense to attack defenders in the secondary not named Keeley Ringo. And I think TCU's got weapons that are really good. Ohio State was able to move the pocket. C.J. Stroud bought himself some time. Those are things that you can do with Max Duggan. I heard a stat that I think is impactful. Only seven teams in the country had the same five start along the offensive line every game this season, and TCU is one of them. So Georgia's got a, a phenomenal defense. Maybe some experience along the offensive line can help. But I mentioned getting after guys who weren't Keely Ringo. I've got one other stat for you. Targeting non-Keely Ringo defenders, which they've been susceptible this year, and against Ohio State in the semifinal was no different. C.J. Stroud against not-Keely Ringo defenders was 17 of 18 for 279 yards and three touchdowns. I think that TCU has impactful skill position players. No, they don't have Marvin Harrison Jr., and I know Quentin Johnson's going to be a first-round pick. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best receiver in college football this year. Uh, they have a, a, a ton of other you know, five-star guys out wide. TCU doesn't have that, but they have weapons offensively that can make you pay. And I think that if they're able to hold up at the point of contact in the trenches by some time, they can do some damage to Georgia's secondary. And so I think it's, it starts in the trenches and then Duggan executing on it. But to me, that's a key to success. TCU will not be able to line up and punch Georgia in the throat, and that is because nobody can line up and punch Georgia in the throat. And I think the difference is that they know it and they can attack them accordingly. And so I think that that will be a key to success for TCU. I couldn't agree with you more, Brian. Look, I, I'm not the biggest X's and O's guys. I... I didn't play the game. I didn't coach. I don't, you know, I, I don't know X's and O's inside and out, but I watch a lot of football, right? And there was a point in that TCU Michigan game, a really memorable play in that game, where pre snap, it was obvious that Michigan was in single coverage. They were man on man, single coverage. They had no safety help, and they were bringing the heat. And what ended up happening on that play? Michigan couldn't get home, and Quinton Johnson uh, adjusted his route really nicely, caught the ball, just past the, the line of scrimmage, and took it to the house for a long touchdown. And Michigan had to do that because they couldn't get home. They couldn't get home on TCU. They couldn't create havoc in the TCU backfield and, and, and they, they just had one, they had one sack on the day and they were not creating a lot of pressure with their front four. So they had to bring extra guys and TCU made Michigan pay for it. And if Georgia can't get home, which let's be honest, as good as that Georgia defense is, I got a stat for you that I think is going to, going to really blow your mind here, Brian, Georgia, their Havoc rank on the season, they're 77th in the country in Havoc. They're 61st in the country when it comes to front seven Havoc. So I think a lot of people who didn't watch Georgia a lot this year just remember that Tennessee game where they really stepped up and they got a lot of pressure. Georgia's kind of got to prove that they can they can wreak havoc in TCU's backfield, that they can get some pressure on Max Duggan. The other thing I will say as far as TCU's path to victory 
is they got to cause havoc themselves on the defensive side of the ball because they got two pick sixes against J.J. McCarthy that were needed, crucial, critical, necessary points in that game. If they don't get those pick sixes, they're not going to win the game. So they're going to have to to create some havoc themselves. Did you think Stetson Bennett played very well in the first half of, of that game, of that Ohio State game? Because I didn't. No. No, I didn't. I mean, he he stepped up in the last drive when he needed to, but it it certainly wasn't Stetson's best game. So maybe just maybe TCU can get some pressure on Stetson, force a bad throw. He did not have the greatest game in last year's championship game against Alabama either, if, if memory serves, until he made a few big throws to end the game, right? So uh, maybe they can get some pressure on Stetson Bennett. They can force some bad throws, maybe, maybe force a turnover or two. And I think that is how they stay in that game. Yeah, last year in the, oh, I'm sorry, in the SEC championship game, Stetson Bennett had uh, two interceptions against Alabama last season. Um, in the national championship game, Stetson Bennett had, I believe it was no interceptions, but did they have a big fumble? Was there a big fumble? He had that, he had two fumbles. That's right. And I think one of them was real early in the game. And he looked kind of nervous in that game uh, last year. So I think that is the path for TCU. For Georgia, I think it's a really simple thing, Ryan. It's if if we look at that box score and they have, let's call it 100 to 150, eh, maybe, maybe not 100, maybe that's a little bit low. But if, if they can run the ball, if they have 150 rushing yards, they, they they won the game. They won the game easy because that is something that Michigan could not do against TCU. They could not run the ball, and that's Michigan's bread and butter, and I think they were surprised by that. TCU had 13 tackles for loss in that game, six on, uh, six on rushing plays. They had a stop rate of 45%. So TCU was, was really dominating Michigan in the run game until they got J.J. McCarthy involved a little bit more. So to me, I, I don't really have a question if Georgia's going to be able to throw the ball well, but if they run the ball, then I think it's a wrap. I think it's over. How about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's you hit the nail on the head. Just to switch it up, one thing I'll add uh, from the other side of the ball is one thing that, that TCU did really well, I thought, against Michigan was getting Max Duggan going in the run game. And I think so he ran 15 times for 57 yards and two touchdowns in that game. And I feel like we saw like in in a few moments when it felt like Michigan might bring pressure, they had they ran some pretty nice like shotgun quarterback draws and just got like six yards, right? And I feel like that's what I think that's in their pocket and what they they want to try to do. It's it's how you slow down you know them bringing pressure off the edge. So now it's on tape, right? I think it'll be ready, but I think that is a key on the defensive side. It's you know, that, that added dimension that sort of makes TCU's offense extra dynamic. So I think if Georgia's able to keep Duggan as sort of a one-dimensional quarterback, I, I think Georgia's in great shape. Now, again, I think, like, there is a world where Max Duggan runs for 60 yards and two scores, and Georgia wins by three scores. So I, it's not if they, you know, it, this this is a must-do, but I think if Duggan has to be one dimensional. They're going to have a really tough time, and that could that could be a key for UGA. 
One thing that I do think Warren's mentioning is Darnell Washington, one of their the Georgia star tight ends. He he was injured um, in that in that game against Ohio State. I think their offense changes if they don't have him. So that's something to keep an eye out for. Um, Kirby Smart was pretty coy on answering questions about injuries. I've kind of heard and seen varying reports from different people. So uh, who knows if he's going to play or not? It's impossible to tell for sure. But if he doesn't, I think that changes their offense a lot because they run a lot of that two tight end, 12 personnel stuff. And it's a huge part of their game plan. And it'd be interesting to see, especially Darnell Washington is a good blocker and a good pass catcher. So it would impact them both in the running and uh, the passing game. So something to just keep an eye on as as things progress over the course of this week and then into next week before, before game day. All right, Brian, now's the time. Let's do it. Let's get some bets in here. I am... I got a bet that I really like. I got a couple bets I really like, but neither of them are are on the spread at the moment. So I want to go ahead and start with you. What do you got? Do you have one on the spread? No, uh, I I don't yet. I like with each passing day, I'm I'm talking myself into taking TCU in the points, and I just could see myself just feeling so stupid. Like that's you know I I've mentioned this before, but like. If I woke up and and I had bet on Georgia and they didn't cover, I could live with it because they're dominant. If I bet on TCU and they lose by forty points, I'm going to feel pretty stupid. Uh, so I'm I'm but I'm leaning TCU. I'm not there for my best bets yet. One I hinted at earlier on. I like the over in the game. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. Um, I think it's at sixty two, and, and I do really like that. But to find one uh, with a little bit of juice. And, you know, you talked – I was so glad you talked about the, the Quentin Johnson touchdown against Michigan because uh, I can't remember what book I saw this on, but I'm sure they all have some version of it hopefully, which is TCU plus 170 to score the longest touchdown. They, I think they're going to have to try to quick strike a bit. Um, and if, if they're able to do that, I, I think it's anybody's – I think that that's a good bet. TCU, the fourth most explosive offense in the country, seventh most explosive pass offense in the country. So I think that's a that's a really interesting way to go about it, Brian, and I, and I like that a, a lot. Um, as of right now, I don't have a bet either on the spread, as I mentioned. I, you know, uh, I was watching it, and uh, I was watching it with somebody, and they asked me if, if Georgia wins, what do you think the line is going to be? And I said... I think it'll open at like 13, 13 and a half and get bet up above two touchdowns. And lo and behold, kind of the opposite happened. It opened at 13, 13 and a half and it's gotten bet down now to 12 and a half. It's kind of a no man's land for me. I think if it got above two touchdowns, I think if it got to 14 and a half, I would really strongly consider taking TCU as it stands now. Um, Georgia Georgia would be the side that I like better. I haven't determined if I'm going to take it or not. So the only two things I'm on at this moment, my best bets are over, over 62 is, is what I got it at. And then Georgia team total over 37 and a half. The winning team uh, in since the college ball playoffs in, inception in the championship game has averaged 39.9 points. Obviously last week, 
just two monster shootouts, 51-45 and 42-41. I think Georgia is going to score in the 40s. We talked about it at the top of the show. They average just under 40 points per game. TCU averages 41.1. I think this is a game where the winning team is going to have over 40 points. I do think that winning team is going to be Georgia. Um, so th- those are my two best bets. Not the most creative. I-, I-, I like your TCU longest touchdown bet. I think that's a little more creative. But man, you know, I, I was so ready. It never crossed my mind that Michigan wasn't going to win that game against TCU. It really didn't. And then I was so prepared to go in on either Georgia or Ohio State against Michigan. So this has caught me off guard a little bit to some extent. And just the number of the way it is, I just can't say I love either side. I think they, they've they nailed it pretty well because you know you can envision a scenario where TCU stays close but you can also envision a scenario where Georgia runs away with it. Um, So I think it's a good line. I think it's a tough line. So give me the over numbers. I'm looking forward to some more player props. Haven't seen a lot of player props out there yet. So we'll be, we'll be interested in seeing some of that. Um, I'll put those out there on Twitter. Once we get some of those, if I'm liking any of those, you know, I'll put those bets out there on Twitter, anything else I add throughout the week, but it sounds like Brian and I both think it's going to be a high scoring game, both on the over I'm on Georgia's team over and Brian is on TCU to score the longest touchdown. Well, that's our show, Brian, a pleasure as always, Yeah, it should be a, a fun game. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to breaking it all down with you once the game is over. We will talk to you next time. We will have a national champion at that point, and we will break it all down. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.